Welcome back to Our Story, a podcast of Dunwoody United Methodist Church. My name is Matt Stone, here with Dr. Phil Schrader. Phil, how you doing? Doing great, Matt. Great to be with you. Likewise, uh, excited to bring our, our current series to a close this week. Uh, so this is the fourth week of comfort food. And we've been walking together through the 6th, 7th, and 8th chapter of uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, last week we dealt with uh, Jesus going beyond the boundaries of the Galilee and uh, dealing with some people who others thought might be unclean. And this week we find ourselves where? Uh, so we find ourselves back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I got to tell you, Phil, this is one of my favorite stories, not just because of the the the, the story that we're going to explore this Sunday, which is the feeding of the 4,000, but because of the way that it fits into a narrative that really began taking shape with um, Jesus's trip across the Sea of Galilee all the way back in Mark uh, chapter uh, chapter five. So before even before the feeding of the five thousand, before that in Mark five, we have this story where Jesus, you know, um, calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is pushing him away from an area called the Decapolis. But Jesus, you know, refuses to allow even uh, even the storm to keep him from reaching the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He lands there in the Decapolis and is met by uh, a man who's possessed uh, called the Gerasene demoniac, uh, um, for those of you who are familiar with that. And and it's an interesting kind of planting of the flag, right? Jesus crosses the uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and plants his flag. And he says, I want even the people here, um, even the folks in the Decapolis, which is an interesting place to plant your flag. And that's where it really dovetails very nicely with the Syrophoenician woman, which we talked about last week, and the, the healing of the deaf man. Uh, because the Decapolis really was a, a Roman showcase, right? Decapolis means deca. Uh, which means 10, polis, which means cities, it's 10 cities. Like Indianapolis, Canapolis, Annapolis. Yep, exactly right. So uh, these 10 cities were built by Rome as a showcase of their military might, their architectural uh, mastery, their cultural uh, extravagance. Uh, This is a place where there were theaters, there were, uh, you know, really um, kind of complex plumbing situations. Uh, the whole thing was built to say to anybody who came near, Rome is better than you. <laughs> and that's where Jesus lands, meets this garrisoned demoniac and says, you know what? I want even you. Plants his flag in the ground and is promptly rejected by the people. And so the people around there who were all Gentile, right? These aren't Jewish people living in the Decapolis. The Jewish people would stay on their side of the tracks, right. on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. These are these people who, who essentially reject Jesus out of hand are Romans and pagans and Gentiles. Jesus wants them, but they don't want Jesus in Mark 5. And, and that poor Jerzyne demoniac, after he is healed, what happens to him? Yeah, he wants to go with Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is like, nope, stay here and tell people the story. But we don't know if he does, right. at least not for a little while. And, and it's interesting in that one, it's, he tells them not to tell the story. And then in this healing of the deaf man, he tells them not to tell anybody. Yeah. I, I, and I think this is something we see in a few of the Gospels, but Mark in particular, um, 
And it's an interesting point to contemplate, right? Because we kind of wonder, our, our question is, well, why would Jesus not want people to know about it? Right. I don't know how you take this one, Phil. There's a few different schools of thought, but the one that kind of resonates with me is, I guess there's twofold, There's a twofold answer to it. Uh, one is, it's part of the way that Mark kind of crafts the story of Jesus's life. Mark is leading to this ultimate revelation of Jesus's identity on the cross. And so we get the, you know, that moment with the centurion in Mark's gospel who says, truly, this is the son of God. Um, and so I think part of it is the part of it is the way that Mark is telling the story. But I also think part of it is Jesus isn't ready yet for his identity to be truly revealed. And I think this is, for me, an even more compelling answer to this question. Why would Jesus not want people to know? Because Jesus isn't ready yet, right? If Jesus reveals his identity too soon, then he won't have an opportunity to do the work that he wants to do before he goes to Jerusalem. Well, and I think it's kind of the the end of the the healing from the, the deaf man last week. He's deaf and he has a speech impediment. So he doesn't really hear and he can't really fully articulate what he's trying to say. And I think maybe that's part of what's going on with the disciples and everybody who sees these things. Some people, it falls on deaf ears and trying to explain it is never fully able to be explained without the cross. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think that's certainly where Mark is headed, right? You can't understand Jesus without seeing Jesus on the cross. Right. So it's an interesting kind of question. Why doesn't Jesus, particularly in Mark's gospel, why didn't Jesus want people to know what he's up to or who he is, more importantly? Right. So, you know, this whole story about the the garrison demoniac in in Mark 5 is really interesting. But Jesus leaves pretty quickly. Uh, The people don't want him there. And Jesus, interestingly to me, doesn't push back. But he leaves. And then we get into Mark 6. And that's where we've been spending time over the last couple of weeks. And we hear the feeding of the 5,000, which, not curiously enough, but uh, not surprisingly, is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Jewish side of the tracks. And they leave 12 baskets left over, one for each of the tribes. You bet. bet. The message um, is clear, I think, that Jesus's, that God's provision for the people of God is abundant. And uh, God will satisfy uh, not just their physical need, but their spiritual thirst and hunger for uh, for truth. And, uh, And then we hear that Jesus leaves that Jewish region, goes to Tyre and Sidon, which uh, which are very not Jewish, right? Outside the promised land. So they're Gentile. We heard about that last Greek. week. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and these are folks that we don't expect Jesus to visit um, because they're outside of Israel. And then, uh, and then when he comes back, we find them in this healing of the deaf man is back in the Decapolis. So back in the same place where Jesus heals the demoniac, the same place where Jesus is rejected by the people, that's where the healing of the deaf man takes place. And that brings us up to the beginning of chapter 8. And I think the stories being held together by their location helps us make sense out of it. Oh, yes. Geography is sort of just pay attention to where we are, pay attention to where we are, because some of the actual geography doesn't really work out very well. He goes north to Tyre, and then it says he heads down to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, but goes through Sidon, which is uh, like 25 miles north. So I really think that they're telling the story geographically. 
Yeah, uh, I, I think that's right. And the difference that we see when Jesus arrives back in the Decapolis is that this time, not only are the people not afraid of Jesus and rejecting Jesus, but instead they've gathered in thousands. So the distinction, the difference between his initial rejection and his incredible reception in chapter 8, I think, and you can tell me where you are on this, Phil, but I think the difference is the garrison demoniac told the story. Right. Right. What's happened that we haven't seen, what's happened between chapter 5 and chapter 8, is this man who was healed by Jesus has gone throughout these 10 Roman, pagan, Gentile cities and said, there's someone you've got to meet. And his name is Jesus, and he's going to come back. And sure enough, when Jesus shows up again, the people come in, in massive crowds. It's a powerful witness. It's like the woman at the well who says, mm-hmm. come meet a man who told me I'd ever everything I had ever done. He can't be the Messiah. And that personal testimony of life change seems to be really compelling. I think that's right. You know, it's not like this garrison demoniac went and quoted Romans right. to the people in the Decapolis. Romans didn't exist, right? This this guy wasn't quoting Old Testament Isaiah uh, to the folks in, in the Decapolis because they wouldn't have known who Isaiah was, nor would they have cared. He, I think he's simply telling the story. There's a guy who healed me. I was out of my mind, yep. wa- wandering naked among the tombs, yeah. and my life was forever changed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's... I think we've got to learn from that. Part of the backstory before we even get to the feeding of the 4,000 is the incredible power that comes when we simply share the story of what God has done in our lives. And I don't know, I don't know about you, Phil, uh, like I've, I've not, uh, that I know of, been possessed by a demon and I've not, uh, you know, no, no miracles have occurred in my life or nothing spectacular or, uh, you know, that kind of supernatural. That really hasn't happened in my life. But God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's presence has been in my life. And and I think sometimes we're fooled into believing, well, you know, if, uh, you know, if my life wasn't miraculously saved by an angel from heaven, then my story's not really worth sharing. Right. And, uh, and I, I always like to disabuse people of that notion because the, the story of what God has done in your life is enough. It's enough to change the lives of the people around you. So, and I hadn't thought about it until you just said that, but perhaps, you know, that's one of the reasons the disciples come back and practice that with Jesus. They come back in the beginning of six and they kind of practice that with Jesus, telling Jesus, this is what we did. This is what we experienced. And they have to give witness to what they, what happened while they were preaching and teaching. I hadn't thought about that before, but that kind of ties it all together for me. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost Jesus teaching them to tell the story. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I, you know, I think for a lot of folks, we've never tried to put words to our story. Right. Which means that when the opportunity comes along for for us to share that story, we're, we're unpracticed and un, unfamiliar with our own story. And, you know, I, I'm not talking about, I want to be clear about this. I don't mean yelling on the street corner, right? I don't mean telling your story through a bullhorn at people. I'm talking about when your neighbor um, uh, has cancer and they're asking you on your front porch, the big questions of life, how am I going to get through this? Am I, I feel so alone. Am I really alone? Why is this happening? When those big moments come along um, as they do for all of us, if we're not practiced in 
in telling our story and telling the story of God's love and grace and forgiveness, I think we, we miss those, those opportunities really to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the mouth even. And I think some of the expectation is, is that we're going to offer a cure, mm-hmm. that <clears throat> Jesus' healing is always a cure, yeah. and that that person who comes to us, our next-door neighbor with cancer, is expecting a cure. Yeah. But I think that, um, at least my walk, is that Christ brings healing even when there isn't a cure, and that's helpful and reassuring when sometimes the only way that healing comes is in death. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great word. That's a great word. Well, this is not something that is uh, uh, preached as part of the lectionary. It is skipped over in the lectionary. The lectionary gives us the feeding of the 5,000, but the feeding of the 4,000 is skipped. And uh, we're going to be preaching about that coming up here. Uh, why include the feeding of the 4,000? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Phil. I think most most people will skip this, not just in the lectionary, but in their own devotional reading. Same story. Yeah. Uh, we just read this three chapters earlier. Yeah. Okay, I got it. It's the same thing. Different numbers, but it's the same thing. And I think that's um, an incredible mistake because we miss out on the breadth of Jesus's ministry. And, you know, sometimes we're tempted to think that... Um, that the the good news of Jesus Christ is really only made available outside of Israel when Paul takes the message of the gospel beyond Israel's borders. Right. But the truth is, even in the ministry of Jesus, in multiple ways, as we saw last week and as we're going to see this week, Jesus was crystal clear that God's desire and God's heart was for all people, not just Israel, but for all people. That's what's revealed, I think, in the feeding of the 4,000, is God's desire and heart for those who are even beyond the borders of Israel, for those who are from the wrong side of the tracks, for those uh, who don't know anything about church, who don't know the right way to act, talk, uh, or, or dress, for those who we would, whom we would never expect God to want. That's exactly who Jesus goes after in this story. And uh, uh, I, I don't want to give too much away, but I, I do want to I do want to say one thing. And, and this as you read the feeding of the 4000 in the beginning of Mark eight this week, which I hope you'll do. We notice in the first couple of verses something that is a profound difference between the 4000 and the 5000 in the feeding of the 5000. It's the disciples who notice the need of the people, because those are the disciples countrymen. Those are their brothers and sisters. They're their Jewish brethren and family. And they have to break into Jesus to even get him to stop talking. Yeah, they care. the disciples care about them. They are Jewish people, yeah. and they're, they're built. They're, it's baked into their DNA to care about Israel. People like us. Absolutely right. But in the feeding of the 4,000, what we see right off the bat is it's not the disciples who see the need of the people. Hmm. It's Jesus. Wow. He says, I have compassion for the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. The disciples don't see the need for three days, for three days. The disciples don't see the need, which, which makes me think about my own church experience. Uh, too often I've been tempted to think when I'm in a rough part of town or I'm with folks who aren't like me, I'm tempted to think, well, They've already, you know, they've chosen their future. I, I, I turn off the empathy and compassion parts of my heart because it's 
they've already made their choice. Look at how they're living. They have no hope. Now, I would never say that. But my own perspective, and I think this is what happens for the disciples, my own perspective betrays my heart. And it says, oh, oops, I'm not even seeing their need. Right. And I think that's what happens to the disciples. But it's Jesus who says, I see my people. Um, and these are my people too. So that's kind of where uh, where we're going to jump off on Sunday is by rethinking who are the people of God and how is it that God is chasing after all of us and how do we as disciples of Jesus kind of fit into that narrative? Anything I should be doing to prepare for Sunday? I, I think certainly reading this story, compare this story with the feeding of the 5,000. I think that's just an interesting intellectual exercise, uh, right? To look at the differences, see how many differences you can note. There's a ton of similarities. There's some really key differences. So that's just, you know, good, clean fun uh, trying to unpack the riddle. But beyond that, I would start thinking about um, categories of people in my life who, who, without thinking about it very much, I know who's in, right? Quote, unquote, in. And I know who is, quote, unquote, out. Who are those categories of people? Because on Sunday, we're going to be challenged by Jesus's work to rethink who's in and who's out. Amen. So Amen. I think that's uh, that would be helpful as we get ready for Sunday. <clears throat> Look forward to hearing that good word as we finish up our Comfort Food Sermon Series and we get ready for a five-week study of the book of James. Well, I'm looking forward to it too. Phil, it's been a great series so far, and uh, I think we'll end on a strong note. Looking forward to James as well. Thanks for being here, Phil. Glad to be with you. Look forward to seeing you Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody UMC. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org and join us for online or in-person worship every Sunday. This August, join us inside at 8.30 a.m. for worship in the chapel, at 9 a.m. for contemporary worship in the sanctuary, or 11.15 a.m. for traditional worship in the sanctuary. As COVID cases and hospitalizations rise throughout Georgia, DUMC will require all people, regardless of vaccination status, to wear masks while in indoor public spaces. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to see our videos on YouTube. Finally, visit us online and click sign up for emails under the Connect tab to get announcements delivered to your inbox every week. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours. 